What that allows us to do, and the reason why we've created our structure is be, to be able to create a bigger farm asset or set of bigger farm assets that are able to really service these retail programs and be able to create efficiencies of scale. Are you ready to transform your life? This is a no-nonsense show helping immigrants like you create generational wealth, even while working full-time. Get ready to take notes. Here's your host, Socket Jane. Welcome back, my great wealth listeners. Today I have with us Oscar Baracaldo from Medellin, California, Colombia. In my head, I'm feeling like California weather is beautiful from where I am. I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina. It's super cold. It's going to be 18 degrees tomorrow. You now hear what's the weather in Colombia. Let's not even talk about it. Uh, I, can see, I can see your background. It's probably 70s. But anyways, Oscar, thank you for joining the show. Appreciate you coming on. Uh, before you jump on, though, I want to give our audience a little bit of background. So we have done, I think, a few shows right now which are focused on agricultural land, uh, produce specifically. So when Oscar's profile came along my way, I'm like, you know what, that'd be a great time, especially because I just heard an article about the food shortage in the U.S. I'm like, I don't know how many other people saw that article, but I'm like, you know what, agriculture maybe and produce could be one thing that people want to understand more about, invest in it, and kind of go from there. So with that perspective, I, I offer to you, Oscar. Oscar, thank you for coming on the show, buddy. Thank you for having me. It's good. Oscar, I know our time's short right now. Why don't we quickly jump into your background a little bit? Give it a little bit of perspective on where you are right now, what are you doing, and then we'll go from there. Absolutely. So our office is based out of Medellin, Colombia. Behind me is the uh, Golden Mile uh, in the city, where the financial district is now based out of, and a lot of the real estate developments occurring here in Colombia. I personally come from a tech background. I used to work with a lot of rendering engines and a lot of web applications across security and multiple type of customers across the continent. Mainly in a big portion of my career, I focused on uh, project management and development for apps and modules for big retail. So I got a big exposure on procurement, marketing, and all of the big issues that we're having. And something that became very clear to me was uh, the huge problems that we're having in procurement and just the large sums of money that are lost through inefficiency and how a big part of that was farmland and seeing how much of that logistical and consistency was lacking. And they didn't have a lot of experience with real estate from my family background. We invested across South America, North America, Mexico, Colombia, and we've had a good exposure. We've had We've gone through the great and the bad of all the uh, upswings and downswings. We actually were there in the middle of 2008, 2009. Right. Real estate bubble. We had some good opportunities and we got pretty green with real estate in the US. But then seeing how everything was kind of evolving and changing, uh, we've been slowly divesting away from the US and coming back. So Colombia made a lot of sense because of nearshoring opportunity logistical routes and just becoming a great partner for the U.S. for its food needs. As you're saying, there's a lot of scarcity going around the world. The U.S. is not the only example. It's also yeah. happening in Europe. It's happening in England. It's a shame. You know, it's, it's a time where countries like Colombia that are nearshoring opportunity per se, the U.S., come into play. And as I like to call it, uh, it becomes the Silicon Valley of uh, Africa. Love that, man. Love that. Yeah, no, I think this, as I was telling you just before we got on the show, this is probably the fifth guest that I've had who has some ties to Medellin, uh, Colombia. I keep calling it California. I don't know why. But anyways, there must be a reason why it keeps coming into my head, California. 
anyways, this is good. So, Oscar, before we go into deeper into that, into your path forward, you said that there was some logistical challenge in these, uh, these retailers and in these procurement. What were those challenges? Can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. Great talk in great detail. Now we have short time, so I'll keep it very high level. Look, it's, there's all kinds of gears across the logistical aspect of the business for big retail. But even though they're able to create all those trucking routes, all those movements, if they don't have the reliability from their partner farmers yeah. or partner distributors, uh, it's all for nothing, right? So I think one of the biggest challenges that you know big retail has been facing is the reliability and consistency of that supply, right? And more specifically, you know, during the last three years with pandemic and post-pandemic logistical breakdown, that really multiplied. That's why you're seeing a lot of you know, those increments in your usual food or produce goods that you're buying at, at big retails like Walmart, Costco, or just to mention it. And, and Oscar, are you, the company that you started, are you, you're managing, you're your CEO of right now, is that trying to address that problem? Absolutely. So that's where we saw the opportunity from a real estate perspective. I think our overall goal by setting up Farmfolio and setting up ourselves to be able to manage this farmland it, it all lies down into real estate. If you're able to lock down real estate today to be able to farm there the next 10 years, that's where you're able to be able to create that consistency. And it's a win-win for, for both. When you're having conversations with big retail like we do, and you know the fruit from the farms that we manage actually makes it to the shelves of Walmart, Costco, the US and Canada, you have conversations with executives from outside companies and they'll tell you, hey, look, we believe that the farmers should get the big majority of the effort that comes from the produce, right? The problem is, is that we don't have the consistency because sometimes some of this land is changing use. Maybe they're trying to flip it over into other real estate prices rather than farming. And we're running out of farmland. It's occurring in other places. I mean, just to keep it close to, to your, to your link of the woods, like California, you're, you've been a lot, which yeah. I find actually great first conversation you know you look at places like uh, orange county it used to be all orange groves it used to be all citrus groves now you look at all that real estate development right that took place and it's being replaced by being rural to now being uh, actual cities and that's that's occurring everywhere and that thing that's a big challenge for big retail right there's less farmland available because cities are taking over right so that's what we've done we basically blocked in great prime real estate properties with great soil columbia's got great weather great soil, great logistical routes, and we're, be able, we're able to hedge and diversify the procurement of those high-demand products into big retail. And we're so going to help of other farm owners like ourselves. Perfect. So, Oscar, why wouldn't... So, let's say I'm going to make a hypothetical case, right? So, let's say you bought a certain acreage of land for making up a number, right? And when you say you locked it up for 10 years, if somebody offers you $10 million tomorrow, are you saying that you won't sell it? Oh, absolutely. I would. Yes. But so then how is that problem? Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Absolutely. So let me just expand on it. So by, by me saying locking land prices today means that we're going to truly rule areas that do have the appreciation component, but not, are not farms that are located, say, in Florida right now, where there's a lot of goddesses that you really see that narrowing down, right? The, the, the neat aspect of being in a country like Colombia, right, is that 
you're an emerging nation, right? The economy grows at a completely different pace than what you, what you would see, you know, in places like Florida, like California, Never. a lot of those groups used to be for citrus, right? So we're able to go to places like a coffee axle that is a proven agricultural hub for like, say, coffee, right? Excel mm-hmm. coffee from Colombia is export to all corners of the world from the coffee axle. And because it has that rich volcanic soil, right? It'll take some time, the next 10 years for a farmland to potentially become subdivision parcels. God, actually powered towns, right? So you're able to say, hey, yes, I am able to log that, that land down for the next 10 years, right? Because it's located in a different place than, you know, your usual citrus growth. Like, I see. Say, or floor. Yeah, no, I think that, that makes sense. That makes sense. And do you see this? Uh, do you th- see this trend? I think you mentioned that in the last three years, it has gone even crazier than before, correct? That that problem that we're talking about, about the procurement problem, that exists even pre-COVID. Is that correct? That's correct, yes. Quite. And how has COVID made it worse? Can you can you reiterate that? I think you talked about a little bit about it, but I want to go deeper into that. Yeah, sure. Look, I mean, with inflation, the cost was just all over. So it creates a lot of speculation, right, for big retail. And I think that's what COVID and, and post-COVID really fueled logistics broke down and it really extrapolated the problem, you know? And then you take a moment there where, where big retail is trying to work with distributors that's working with small farmers. So we'll talk about that in a second. And the reason what we create around it, right? They don't know what's going to happen. Oscar, we lost you. We lost you there for a second. Let me repeat that question. Can we restate that? I think there's, there's some connection issue. We just got weak. You got super grainy. Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. So I'm going to ask the question again. If you can repeat it, my team is going to edit it. Sure. Perfect. So Oscar, that makes sense. So let's talk about the trend. How does the trend differentiate it from pre-COVID to post-COVID? I'm assuming the procurement challenges existed even then. Sure. Absolutely. Look, the biggest challenge was the network of farms that may service a retail. You know, you have small farms, medium farms, large farms that ultimately end up selling the fruit to distributors, right? And you can create a lot of intermediation. Uh, there was a lot of stuff that was up in the air, you know, for a moment there during, right? Fuel price, yeah. everything changed too quickly. So maybe at that point, because of those network of farms not being able to run, say institutionally, they weren't able to do things on par and with the quality standards to be able to have the best product and the production. Got it. Got it. So I think that's something that everybody faced. There was a lot of uncertainty. Uh, and I think that extrapolated it created higher issues across the supply chain. And then, you know, specifically, specifically for our continent, you had a big pressure from China really sucking a lot of those containers of seafood yeah. that created a lot of issues, especially again, California. California had huge lags. I mean, you had, you know, routes that used to be a week, two weeks that, you know, compounded to be a month, month and a half. And that has slowly, you know, come out into this soft landing that we have today, logistically speaking, right. where, you know, things are back to normal, prices are back to normal, and it's make it, thanks, go back to business as usual. Got it. And so, Oscar, let's let's move forward a little bit. So, in your model, what role does a farmer play? Like, kind of like, I know we talked about that, the big retailers were in the favor of giving farmers the biggest chunk uh, for, for the fruit of their labor. Now, if someone like us comes in, you guys come in and uh, Matt, are you now being an intermediary? Uh, then how does a farmer get benefited from that model? Because I'm assuming it's in the best interest of the big retailers to make sure that the money is being passed onto the farmers on a fair share basis as well. 
Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. One I get a lot. So look, I often get asked, how can you make farmland create the yields that you need? And can I, what is the best way to own farmland, right? And every time I, tell, I, I get asked that question, I tell people, look, the best way to do it is you should buy a portion of land and farm. But mm-hmm. if you don't want to do that, or if no, you don't have the time, you're trying to replace yourself or replace your income to farmland, which is, I think, a good, a good approach. And we find a lot of people are never able to do so to be able to diversify and hedge against inflation or other things because farmland does uh, provide a good hedge because of the price of the produce and because of the appreciation of the land. This is a great route. We are we are a structure that allows a tenants in common structure on their what we call an FOA. It's a farm owners association and it's the governance of what that allows us to do. And the reason why we've created our structure is be it to be able to create a bigger farm assets or set of bigger farm assets that are able to really service these retail programs and beyond to create efficiencies of scale. So say you're able to rep to own a portion of a farm, right? And be able to share both the expenses and the harvest proceeds of that farm across the different owners of the farm or that farm asset, right? Under a tenancy structure, right? But ultimately, although being owner of a smaller parcel, say about an acre or two acres, you're still part of a farm that's institutionally run, right? That's able to pick up those economies of scale and really able to uh, sell directly to a program like say Walmart. Awesome. So in the, in this now, in this new model that you're, you're proposing and that you're working on and very successfully is really trying to, trying to be that abstraction layer. So the farmers go farm the land at a great level. And then you have the superpower of a bigger acreage that you can negotiate better rates with Walmart or Costco and stuff like that. And also give them the comfort level that that a mom and pop farmer may or may not be able to. Is that a fair statement? Absolutely, yeah. Look, although a small farm can be very practical for a small family or a small farmer, ultimately, a small farm is never going to be able to attain the economies of scale that any Sure, sure. Right. So it's it's power and not. Yeah, so Oscar, how does somebody get involved in this in this asset class? Absolutely. So our website is www.farmfolio.net. You can find all the information you need. You can write us to info at farmfolio.net. Our process is simple. There are people that come in with different needs or different structures that they like to assess. We have people that are looking for their groups and are looking to own their entire farmland. And we have a portfolio of assets that are derived from our assessment across the over 29,000 acres that we have assessed in Columbia. And we built a farm for you. If that's something you want to do as a group, and we have that occurring more more often as of lately, we're seeing groups coming in and saying, "Hey, we'd love to have a farm." We have doctors, tech people that come in and say, "Hey, we yeah. love to have a farm." And you can you show us what you have portfolio? We'd like to pick something for for our group. Up or you can also do it on the tenants in common structure that we have. We have current farms that are still having parcels available. We have approximately seventy parcels available right now between a line. And coconut, which are our main spearheading produce. Got it. And then, and then these guys or gals who own the farmlands with the groups of investors that are coming in, you're you're basically your model is still the same. You're not supplying them the produce. You're still supplying it to the big chain, correct? Correct. Yes, correct. So you, as a group, or you as an individual who wants to come in and attempt to come in, you own your land, you own the trees on the land, and you own the fruit that comes out of those fruits. What we're doing is. We're hiring a packing facility that packs the fruit and we're delivering the fruit directly to the retail 
doors across mainly the East Coast. So you're telling me you're, you're based out of North Carolina. Raleigh, North Carolina. Correct. Right. So that's a big hub where we deliver and we have farm owners in that region. So if you, uh, at any given time, you know, they're just here with a good chance, you can go out to your local Walmart, you see Colombian fruit that most likely will be fruit that's coming from our, our farm farmland program here. Got it. And do, you, do your farmland, just so that as somebody is listening into and they're interested in learning more about it, do you have an outer facing brand or you white label it or you get it? Are you provided for white labeling? That's great. So we do both. Mainly we're working under a main brand with the pack house that we work with and control here in Colombia called Valle Verde, which has a Valle Verde sticker. And that is something you see at the shelves of, of uh, Walmart as well. And we will do the white label for, say, Walmart or Costco. They have their own film and that's something they yeah. require. And that gets delivered in the way that they do. Awesome. Oscar, this has been great. Man. I wish we had a lot more time to talk into and get more deeper into it. But this was actually great conversations to to put a teaser out, right? So folks who actually this is this is actually great length because it gives enough information without us deviating from the core conversation, which is investing in agricultural land is great. And there are multiple ways to do that. And most of us are not gonna buy and farm our own land. We may buy the land, especially if you have the cash, but chances of us all of us are some of us becoming farmers? I don't see the probability of that pretty high. Maybe there's some would. So why not look at an option like that where you have taken over the headache of farming and if that was the biggest friction point, you you have now basically eliminated that. So thank you again, Oscar. Appreciate it. Oscar, just one last question for the U.S. Uh, for the guys in the U.S. and the gals in the U.S., investors in the U.S., I should say. Are there any tax benefits of owning agricultural land outside of the U.S.? Are you aware of those? We, we don't really give it tax or legal advice regarding your own specific, uh, you know, situation. What I can tell you is in Colombia, there are, you know, very interesting tax incentives to farmland. Uh, and specific, uh, specific products that are driven towards exports. Now, once those harvest proceeds are paid back to your account, like I said, again, you can own it from, yeah. uh, as an individual, we have people that own through IRA accounts. We have people that own them through trusts, Got their it. own NLCs are structured. Once that cash arrives to, to the U.S., that's something that you'll have to talk to your tax advisor okay. or, or legal yeah. counsel for that matter. And I know that there, that's a very one-to-one specific need. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely. Structure, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Oscar, well, everybody, thank you again. Your, your information again, where can people find more information about you and your company? Sure. You can go to farmfolio.net. You can write us to info at farmfolio.net. Our phone number is 786-558-2380. Perfect. Well, we'll make sure that uh, information is included in the show notes below. Oscar, thank you again, buddy. Appreciate it. Hey, it's okay. Thank you for your time. Enjoy the, enjoy the beautiful weather. We'll do it. Hold on one second, Oscar. You betcha. If you got value from this episode, you might consider sharing this content with a friend. But most importantly, be sure to take action on what you've learned. One way you can take the next step is to connect directly with Socket on an investor call. That link is waiting for you in the show notes below.